0: family, I think you guys like each other or y'all just like to talk. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful to be here with you today. If you have your shed Bible, this morning we're Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4, and that is on page 546. Brian read a few of these words from us from Psalm 84, and we're going to read them together now. They are ever praising you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. It's really good to see you. It's really good to be with you this morning. Um, If we haven't met before, if it's been a while, my name is Ashley. I'm one of our pastors here. It's one of the joys of my life. To be a part of this community, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and I'm also celebrating in just a couple of weeks another major milestone in our life. Um, in just a couple of weeks here, Dylan and I will celebrate our wedding anniversary. I had to remind myself that that was coming up. I told him yesterday I'd forgotten. So, babe, this is my public acknowledgement that yes, our anniversary is soon. Um, one of the memories I go back to around every time this year is I think about how we started dating our first date. So if I haven't told you this story, um, Dylan reached out and he said, will you come with me to a movie and dinner? And I said, this is great. That feels like real kind of like low-key, real easy-peasy, nothing crazy. And so I can't quite recall if I picked the movie or if he did, but I gotta tell you, it wasn't an action film. It was not a comedy. It wasn't even a rom-com. Delwyn chose to take me out for the very first time to see Beauty and the Beast in 3D. So here I am sitting in a theater with a man that I kind of know with glasses on in a dark theater. And I'm thinking this is either going to be really, really awkward or I just met the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with because you see, Dylan, I think he had paid attention. He knew that this was my favorite Disney movie of all time. He was paying attention. And I realized that in order for him to have picked that movie in particular, he must have cared a lot more about the person he was going to spend time with than anything that he could have gained personally from that film. Babe, I'm talking about you. He, just, he walked back in. I'm talking about our first date. Because I know, even as a musician, Delwyn did not pick this movie for Alan Menken's movie score. I'm guessing a lot of us are familiar with this kind of instinct, whether it's with a significant other, our families, or our friends. Family like the one time my parents road trip to Branson, the Vegas of the Midwest, just the three of us. Oftentimes the who really, really matters. Sometimes who matters even more than what's in it for us. If the right who is there, we are fully present. We get caught up in time and all of a sudden two hours feels like three hours. And perhaps you've heard someone say in a gathering where you were present, someone say something like, hey, I can't believe how quickly the time went. Time flies. But that's not always the case. I admit there are times that I do have a choice. And I choose to be present specifically because me being somewhere might benefit me personally. Like, the food's going to be really good. Or I like who I saw on the guest list or I know that my presence and being there won't be too taxing or time-consuming to what I feel like an expending of my energy. Some of us, we choose travel or entertainment this way. We choose friends this way. We choose churches this way. Sometimes we long to be present because of the who, And sometimes we long to be present because of what's in it for us. And as I read the first few verses of Psalm 84, I noticed that the psalmist makes an important and yet subtle distinction. The psalmist's soul's yearning, it's fainting, it's not for God's benefits per se. When you read all 12 verses, the psalmist isn't yearning for God's benefits. I love what Troy talked about last week, how the psalms are voluntarily vulnerable. But last week, Psalm 4 it was vulnerable, this self-effacing kind of vulnerability. It was kind of talking about the confidence of God. Well, this kind of vulnerability in Psalm 84 is a little bit different. Because the psalmist's flesh and heart is crying out, not for a feeling. Not even for healing, or for blessing, or for rescue. But the psalmist's heart and flesh cries out for God. God. The living God. Why do you want to be where God is? Why do you, in your seat, in your gray chair, you watching online from wherever you're tuning in this morning, why do you want to be where God is? Is it for God's promises of peace or rest? Maybe you feel like you've had to make good on your end of some deal that you have to accomplish between now and all eternity perhaps it's out of a sense of obligation that you want to be where God is because you were told that would make you good you want to be where God is because you want to show your kids that you're devoted even if you don't feel like it on the inside you want to be where God is because you're showing up for answers to impossible questions. You're showing up for proof. You want to be where God is because you want God's approval of who you are and how you see the world. You want to get it right. If you sit with this question just a little longer, why do you want to be where God is? As I asked myself this question over the past couple of weeks, as Delwyn said, a couple folks in our home were ill. I was one of them. I had some time to think about this question. God, why do I want to be where you are? And I realized that the, the difference in my why was the difference between a kind of distance in my motivation and true, real dwelling dwelling. Have you ever gone to someone's home or event and you were going with someone, perhaps a spouse or someone in your family or friends, and when you roll up to the door, person A says something like, so we're not going to stay here long. (laughs) We're, We're just, do you understand me? We're not staying here long. We just need to show our face. And person B is like, "Uh uh-huh, got it. They lock eyes. There's a mutual agreement. We're not staying long, Ashley. So they walk in, and what happens? Person A makes good on the promise. They hang out in a dark corner where they cannot be found. They have to go to the bathroom about 12 times. They're hiding. But then they emerge, and person B is just chit-chatting by the charcuterie. Just lost in a conversation. It's gotten real deep. And she kind of peeks over the other person's shoulder like, not yet, not yet. I'm not ready. Got a few more minutes. And the deal has been broken. Something is not going the way that it was initially set up. That sort of impulse, we're not going to stay long, preempts a kind of distance, doesn't it? where you planned to be there and gone before you even got there. There was an arm put up saying, no, we're, we're not going to the depths of this social interaction because I really want to be at home in bed watching the game. Or if you're a parent like me, it's like one morning when I'm sipping my coffee, reading my Bible and my youngest comes downstairs and it's real cute because she climbs into my lap And I'm thinking, the earth can pause. I'm done here. I can go home to meet Jesus because this sweet, sweet moment, I just want to soak it up forever. She just wants to be with me. But then a few seconds later, she holds my face and she whispers, Mama, I want your cereal. (laughs) And I realize... She was never planning to stay long. <laughs> That's the difference between distance and dwelling. When the psalmist uses the word to dwell, it means to sit down and to remain. Almost like a planned lingering, like you have nowhere else. To be? Why do I want to be where God is? Is there a distance created by my true intentions to just check in and show my face on Sunday at 10 a.m.? Or do we orient our longings in order to dwell, to remain, to linger? Psalm 84, if you look at the Superscription. It's a song of the sons of Korah, and this might be our first one of the series. If you go back to number sixteen, Korah and another group of men challenged the rights of Moses and Aaron to the priesthood, and because of their challenge, they were swallowed up in the earth. But something interesting really happened. Korah's sons were spared. A picture of God's justice and God's grace, is it not? So Korah's sons are spared. And in the reign of King David, Korah's sons are given a very important job. They become choral and orchestral leaders in the tabernacle. So they are the song leaders for the people of God. And scholars are undecided as to who actually wrote this specific Psalm. It could be David hiding out one of the many wars that he was involved in, longing for the presence of God at the temple. Or it could have been the sons of Korah orchestrating this for the people. Some 84, 85, 87, and 88 are all songs of Korah. This one specifically, it's kind of a mixed medium. It's lamentation, it's wisdom, and it's a hymn. But before we go any further and talk about the invitations from this psalm, structurally, you have to understand how it's, how it's divided. We have to go back to 1 Kings 8. And if in your own time you want to read 1 Kings 8, it talks about this theology of divine presence, wherein God inhabits the temple. That is where God lives. The people of God believed that God was there. So with that understanding, we now look at the language. Susie read some of the first four verses. And the language evokes kind of like the sentiment of a passionate lover. When you look at the Hebrew, it's like a passionate lover describing missing one's partner in life, where there's been distance, and now that person longs to be back in proximity with the one that they love the words in the shed bible longing and fainting are more like yearning and languishing so there's almost a sadness a lamentation that goes along with that longing the missing the presence of the temple the psalmist's soul was finished finished fainting meaning finished They were at the end of themselves. To cry out isn't like a whimper, like, "Mm." It's not soft around the edges. To cry out wasn't this merely poetic language, but it was highly expressive. The tone matched the sentiment, if you will. The psalmist is crying out. So we, we understand the language and the tone being used here. You have to kind of read the words with that in mind. But then we also look at the specific name that the psalmist uses for God. Lord Almighty, or maybe in your Bible, it's Lord of hosts. It's used four times in the psalm. That's more times than any other piece of biblical scripture in that one text, four times in this one text. And it's kind of warrior language. It's Lord Almighty commands the angel armies, but it's also connected to the Ark of the Covenant. Again, all this is steeped in Old Testament understanding. God wanted to be amongst God's people, and that was accomplished through the ark. So the psalmist is saying, I'm longing for you, God, just as you long to be amongst us. Interesting to note, in our shed Bibles, the psalm is laid out as one long psalm, but in my Bible that I use personally, it's an ESV, perhaps in your Bible too, it's broken up into three sections and each section is ended by the word selah. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. But if you weren't here, this selah, we're not exactly sure what it means, but it's meant to enter a silence or some sort of pause, almost as an inserted time of reflection, but either way, I think these divisions are helpful, and I want to offer encouragements from this psalm based on the way the psalm is laid out. So that's how we're going to structure um, the rest of our time this morning. The first section ends after verse four. It's the one that Susie read. And in addition to the intense language, again, sometimes I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I sit down to read my Bible, and I read it like, I'm, like I just woke up. I I read it in the tone with which I've just gotten up and rolled out of bed to drink my coffee, but we have to start engaging the text as if the psalmist or whoever is writing the text intended it. So first four verses, we've got this intense language, but we also have a curious introduction to birds, just randomly just decided to put some birds in there, swallows and, and whatnot. We're told that the sparrow and the swallow have found homes near the Lord's altar. In other translations, there will be an S. It will say altars, because there was more than one altar at the temple. We'll talk about that as we close out. It's as if the psalmist is jealous of the Tweety Birds because of how close they get to be to the presence of, of God. But this is not accidental. The psalmist doesn't accidentally talk about birds. Remember the name we just talked about, Lord Almighty. In the presence of a strong, commanding Lord Almighty, these vulnerable, largely helpless creatures find a place. Even they have been welcomed by the Lord's hospitality. I'm asking why we want to be where God is. And here's an invitation and encouragement that kind of mirrors where we went last week with Psalm 4. Your vulnerability is welcomed. Your vulnerability is welcomed. All of it. And perhaps you don't feel helpless. But maybe it's your junk that you carry into this life, but it's also your joy. How many of us know that joy can be the most vulnerable emotion, especially when we've taught not to express it? Your junk and your joy, your pain and your praise, all of you has a place in God's presence. what have you been holding back? What have you been holding back? Here's the problem with our culture. If we approach God's presence, assuming God receives us the way the world receives us, for our skill, for our strength, for our money, for the way we look or show up, either on a Sunday morning or on the Christmas cards that we send out every year. If we approach God's presence, assuming he uh, receives us the way the world receives us, No wonder we don't want to stay long. No wonder we don't want to stay long. Because we feel as if God is not any different from the world. There are conditions attached. But you have to understand, church, your vulnerability is welcomed. So perhaps for you today, you consider what have you been holding back from God? Part one ends by saying that those who dwell in God's house are called blessed we're fully happy, fully happy, there is a praise that arises and perhaps it's because the vulnerable finally know that they have a place to call home. That may be hard for us to understand because of the culture of consumerism or accumulation We've all of a sudden found that we have no need for a home anywhere else because we've built the homes that we've dreamt of since we were in college. But the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the sidelined, to feel like you don't have a home and then to find a place in the cracks or crevices of where God dwells is really good news. And so verse four, a praise breaks. I wonder what it would take for us to know that kind of praise, to know that we actually have a home, a good one, a really good one, Selah. Section 2, verse 5 through 8. It's clear that a movement is happening. There's not just longing internally, but there's an actual pilgrimage, a journey that is taking place. And we're told that it's through what Brian read is the Valley of Baca. Now we don't know if this was a real place. I couldn't find a map, I'm sorry. Maybe it's just a metaphor for the soul. But Baca, Valley of Baca means balsam tree. And if you know anything about ancient Agriculture, I don't know much, but I do know that balsam trees grow in very arid conditions, so it's dry. You could say that the Valley of Baca is a place of weeping and dryness. There's not much there. It's desolate. And yet, as the people of God pass through from their home trying to get to the temple, those on the journey make it. Look at the text, they make it a place of springs as do the physical autumn irrigated rains come late October, early December where we kind of place this text. It's not just God's provision, it's also the people carrying the strength of God with them into the dryness, into the dryness. Not avoiding it, but saying God because of your strength, from strength to strength, we can show up in a dry, deserted place and approach your presence. What a word for the people of God in 2022. Just, I, I want to show you what this meant for me as a promise and the encouragement is God's strength is available where you are. God's strength is available exactly where you are we might spend energy trying to eject ourselves from the places that feel dry but because God longs to dwell with you God's strength is where you are as you journey along the way just a few pictures we have to start practicing this you know how in VBS you used to practice uh, memorizing scripture I think memorizing grace and memorizing strength along the way will become the new countercultural and formational disciplines of our day. We have to be a people, we have to be a church that knows how to rehearse and point out grace here, strength there, grace here, strength there to a world that's doom scrolling 24-7, am I right? So let, I did the homework. I practiced last week while I had the COVID, okay? So here are just four pictures of grace and strength, just four. The first, I never thought I would say this, was my dog. That animal would not leave me. And I know sometimes people leave us, but this dog tried to get in the bed, sat down next to the bed, looked at me like that over the bed. And I was like, God, how cool that through a canine, you're showing me that you pursue me and I don't have to leave this bed. Your strength finds me where I am. Flowers from friends. To bring beauty to a really desolate place. Beauty in the space where I could not see it before. A friend bought me a root beer float and let me tell you, That thing tasted so good. When we talk about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, I was able to taste it in the midst of my time of trial. Bless you. And then finally, my daughter, my daughter colored in this picture, and she slid it under the door. And I heard the rustling of a piece of paper. Get well soon, Mama. Brooklyn. A word of encouragement in the Valley of Baca. Do you see what I mean? It might seem like a throwaway. It might seem insignificant. It might seem like on a random Monday or Tuesday to you, you cannot find strength or grace where you are, but I'm here to tell you, Mars Hill Bible Church, grace and strength are everywhere because God is. And if we would choose to call it out, the world around us would be confounded how in a dry place how in a place of desolation do you proclaim the name of god because i see it god's strength is our strength as we continue along the journey okay i preached a little bit just then so i'm going to skip over we're running out of time i don't i want to get you to your lunch third section It begins with one of the most famous lines in all the Psalms. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We just sang these words. The message translates this verse. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. Greek island beaches sounds awesome. I would not turn you down if you were to come to me, hand me a little pamphlet with some tickets in it, say, Ashley, would you like to go to a Greek island beach for approximately two years and nine months? About a thousand days? I would probably say yes faster than my family wants me to. And maybe for you, a Greek island beach sounds awful. Maybe it's golfing. Yeah, someone's telling the truth. I hear you, Dave. Maybe it's football, which is almost upon us. Hallelujah. Maybe it's reading. You just want to be left alone to read your TBR list. The stack of books that you keep buying and promise you'll read, but you never do because you don't have enough time. I don't know what it is for you. But as we were singing these song lyrics earlier, I noticed how we sang it. I'm imagining the psalmist crying out, and I confess to you, I want to want that to be true. I want to want that to be true as if I can come fully vulnerable and in God's strength. The psalmist says they would rather scrub the floors as a doorkeeper in God's house, taking a lowly position in God's house, than to be esteemed among the wicked. I want that to be true. But I also want what I want. I'm tempted to ask Delwyn for us to sing that song again because if we sang it the way that the psalmist did, this room, the walls would be shaking. Maybe you're like me and you want to want that to be true. It's not true yet. It's not true all the time, but I confess to you, church, I want to want to be in God's presence more than I would want a Greek beach, more than I would want comfort, more than I would want notoriety, more than I would want to be somewhere a thousand days indulging in what would inevitably become idolatrous to me. (laughs) Worshiping that thing, that idea instead. It's interesting, the psalm ends not with the psalmist's desires, but with a reminder of who the Lord is. For the Lord God is a sun and shield The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, there it is again. Blessed, there it is again. Are those who trust in you. Why do I want to be where God is? I can come vulnerably before the Lord. God's strength is available. And finally, God is, as one commentator put it, an infinite an infinite, which means limitless, source of good. So whatever else you have done to pursue goodness on behalf of you or those you love, God's goodness is infinite, infinitely more. The best good you could ever hope for. All that you could ever want. You would never have another need again because God is an infinite source of good. So perhaps I do want to be where God is, but (laughs) you're like, where is God now? That temple crumbled, doesn't exist anymore. Bring it forward to the present day, Ash. Let me tell you, Jesus promised us, John 1, 4, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And if the temple was destroyed long ago, in Matthew 12, 6, Jesus told us, one greater than the temple is here. Revelation 21, John said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The temple altars where the birds nested. The altar of burnt offerings where sacrifices were offered. Jesus became that sacrifice. The innermost altar where incense was burned, representing the prayers and intercession of God's people rising up to God's throne. The song we just sang about, may my prayer of incense rise before you. All of that. Jesus said, I am the one who intercedes for you. Jesus said the temple is me. The temple is me. But then, but then, but then, but then, Jesus left. Death, burial, resurrection, what now? We're going to end with this. Just, just receive this. Donald M. Williams says, as John says, Jesus has dwelt or literally tabernacled among us and we have beheld his glory here is our temple we meet God in the face of the sun as the church is being renewed today Jesus's grace and glory are especially being experienced in worship Like Israel of old, as we gather in his name and direct our sustained praises to him, his spirit descends and his presence is manifest in in our midst, here, in our midst. Jesus is here, Mars Hill. Jesus is amongst us. Jesus is in the body of Christ. Jesus is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is here and we are saved, healed, and delivered from our enemies. Do you realize that Jesus is here in the body of Christ? This is why we gather. This is why I need you. This is why show up on a Sunday morning, someone asked me, why do we still need the church this past week? Why, do, why is the church relevant? And I was slow to answer because there's probably so many ways I could, but it's right here. The body of Christ is the hope that Jesus longed for the broken world around us. That's why you're here, because Jesus had you in mind. You were Jesus's plan through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mars Hill. The church is not going to die anytime soon because this was a plan all along. I want to be where God is, and God is here. God is here represented in your lives and through the church, hallelujah. We are commissioned to be the powerful, healing, hope-giving, reconciling presence of Christ and amongst and with each other and the world that surrounds us, to a world that often looks like a dry valley. How lovely, (laughs) how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place. Better is one day in your house than on any beach in Greece. It is with joy that I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you pray with me now? How right and a good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Spirit, we pray that you would come and dwell amongst us. Would you dwell as we dwell? We rest, we remain, God. Make us vulnerable before you. In this meal, remind us of our hunger. Remind us of our longing. Point us back to our first love as we dine together and look in the faces of our brothers and sisters, remind us that you dwell here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, in this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this bread, drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, strength and grace. So as we prepare to dine together, we have Brian in the back ready to receive you. Perhaps you want to confess either a point of, hey, I haven't been fully vulnerable before God and I need help. Or you just want to hold uh, an intercession reminding you of God's strength for the current value that you're in. I'd also encourage you, Brian's not the only one commissioned to pray in this room. I long to see us praying for one another. You are free to do so, to pray for your brothers and sisters as we eat together in this space. Also invite you to offer a prayer in the prayer wall. Our staff would love to pray for you. We do so every Tuesday. We keep them on our desks. Pray for you throughout the week. But just know this time is yours to dwell. To dwell. So, Marcel, receive who you are the body of Christ.